Hello, everybody. Welcome to Conversations with Mel. Today, I am so excited. I get I get to interview someone that I have known for a very long time. I don't even remember the date. I know she will probably remember the date that we have met. And um, it was at a place called St. Germain. It was a restaurant and she was doing tarot card readings. And what happened is, is that we became really good friends. And she would come over to my living room at my house in, or my apartment in Beverly Hills. And we would sit on the floor and, you know, my daughter and myself and her, and we would just spend wonderful evenings and afternoons together. And she always brought her tarot cards with her. And I am so excited about having her as my guest because she is an amazing, amazing person, amazing psychic, amazing reader, um, you know, is in touch with a lot of the spirit world. And uh, so we're going to learn more about her and we're going to learn about her book. So I want to introduce my friend, Christina Inglehart. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Hello, no. hello. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste, yes. You can tell I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you. Girl, wonderful. I'm as well. I'm as well. I, I truly love you. And like your name, you are Melody to my spirit. <laughs> well, we had we kind of didn't see each other for quite a while. And my daughter went to go see um, a man playing a piano. And then she basically gave me a phone number and said, call this number because she heard a voice and she goes, my God, that sounds like Christina Inglehart. And lo and behold, it was, I mean, that was a great, 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 you know, thing for me to get in touch with you. Cause that as is, we, we, we yeah. lose touch. Divine timing. Yes. We have people that are watching. I want to thank you guys for coming in. It's going to fill up tonight and please, please, Send this out to all of your friends, because this is going to be an amazing interview, amazing show. So should we get down right to it? What do you guys think in the chat room? Should we kind of like start asking the questions? Because it says we're, 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 we're framing things the way that they should be framed. So let's start with, let's start with the questions. Christina. Where did you grow up? And please, I know a little bit about your childhood. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and your family. Well, my parents are immigrants from Germany. So I was born in New Jersey. And of course, they were learning to speak English uh, at the same time I was. And um, of course, we spoke German at home. And they, you know, raised me. They were children of World War II. So they had the fears and the phobias and just the hardships, what they went through. And of course, coming to America for them was, you know, the land of the free, the land of the freedom. So the East Coast, New Jersey, it's a great place to be born and raised, I suppose. You know, I will always have my, you know, good feelings towards the state of New Jersey. And um, so that's the East Coast. And of course, the Jersey Shore area and just that whole part of the, the East Coast. And of course, not that far from Manhattan. So, you know, I enjoyed being on the East Coast. I'm now in the West Coast. <laughs> the West Coast is beautiful, but so is the East Coast. Yeah. I loved meeting your brother. That She invited me one evening to a karaoke evening in his, his condo. And 
I mean, and I'll tell you something, the drinks, I mean, every five seconds, I mean, it was so much fun. I can't wait to go back to Los Angeles and experience that again. But thank yes. you for that wonderful uh, invite. Of course. Well, when COVID's over, we'll be able to do it all together. <laughs> well, we can do it on, we can basically do it on like, you know, like Zoom or do a live one like here and just yeah. call everybody in. They can play their own yeah. karaoke, you know, songs. So tell me something. You speak a few languages. And well, what are they? Because yeah, I don't do well in languages at all. Well, obviously, the first is German. And of course, I'm living in America, so English or American. And then, of course, I went to go live in Europe for quite a while. I know a little French, but my strongest language is Italian because I knew German as a child and I continued my English language, but I learned Italian as an adult. So there's something about when I speak German, I feel like it's the vocabulary of a young person. And when I speak Italian, it's the vocabulary of a mature person. Um, can you say a couple words in in all the three different languages to make people go, oh. Oh, well, of course. Natürlich. Ich kann irgendwas sagen auf Deutsch, weil mir das Deutsch war die erste Sprache. Und dann nachher habe ich Englisch natürlich gelernt und dann... Am um, 25 habe ich so Anfang Italienisch perfekt gesprochen. So, and, and, and that's what the were, German part. And what did you say? I said, of course I can speak German. You know, a German <laughs> comes natural to me. I learned it as a youth. And then I went around when I was 25. I mean, I went to Italy beforehand, but I really became fluent at 25 in Italian, even though I was there earlier. But, you know, the first year or two, you know, you're learning words. And then by 25, was, I was fluent. And French? I know a lot of words in French. Now, I lived in France. And the thing about, um, see, Italian and in German, pretty much what you see on the page, you say, you vocalize. In French, it's very different. In the French language, you know, you swallow half the words and, you know, A-U-X is different from aux, you know, or whatever you think it is. So, and of course, the French, if you don't speak well French, they don't even bother speaking. They go right into your language or they don't talk to you. <laughs> and I'll, I'll I, love, I, I love the language, uh, the French language and the French people. I love French. All I know is French fries and uh, crepes, <laughs> you know, that's and, and je t'aime beaucoup. I know je t'aime beaucoup and that's it. And so, but my favorite is to listen to because I think it flows is Italian. So yeah. can you say something to me, something very warm and loving in ah, Italian? Certo, certo. Ma <laughs> prima di tutto ci voglio dire che qualsiasi, per chi, qualsiasi persona che stai in questo momento guardando questo programma che facciamo di noi, ci voglio fare un gran saluto, ci voglio dire grazie per arrivare per questo discorso, auguro che qualsiasi di noi conosce questa la mia storia perché è una storia per me importantissima e ci voglio dire che Nell'anima italiana. Oh, I, I felt like I was at home in, in, I mean, when I was a kid in Bay City, Michigan, with my Italian grandmother cooking pasta and, and, and pizza and stuff. And what did you say? <laughs> I said, of course, I love speaking Italian. You know, it, it's very meaningful to me. And if there's anyone out there who knows me very well, who speaks Italian, I please welcome you. Please enjoy with me, because if anyone knows this story, it's my Italian friends. 
Wonderful. Listen, we've got some people that have come in. We've got Anne. Welcome. We have Babette. We have Patrick. And we had Bob. And there's people that are coming in and out. So periodically, I will say hello. And if, if I miss any of you guys, I'm so sorry. We have Nancy Nichols that have just walked in to the chat room. So it's starting. people are starting to come in. But what, let's let's talk about something that is, is deep, deep in my heart. When did you first realized that you were psychic and when did you start working with astrology and tarot cards? When did this all, where did it come from? Well, I will say that be, I would say from first and foremost in my youth, I always felt that I was being watched or a presence, some unexplainable presence. And I used to be able to, with my eyes, and I'm talking three, four years old, if I focused on anything, I actually could imagine I could move it. Now, maybe that's the mind of a child. But in my innocence, I knew that there was something out there. And of course, when we would go to Germany and I would sit next to my grandmother, she was a tarot reader. But she had this very specific deck of cards and she would read for the people in the neighborhood. And I was amazed. And I like, I want to know, can you teach me? Can you teach me? And of course, I'm like, five, six years old. And she said, no, 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 you are going to learn this from me when you get older, because this is your inherent gift. And she went on to explain that she learned this style of card reading when she was a child or, you know, late teenage or, you know, in the young woman, I should say, she learned it from her grandmother and that grandmother learned it from her grandmother and that grandmother learned it from her grandmother. And apparently the first granddaughter born in this lineage of line is the medium. So I'm the first granddaughter. My grandmother was the first granddaughter and so forth. So that is, that is how the, the initiation started. So here I am at five, six years old and, and I was bugging her. I wanted to know, I wanted to know. And the next trip back to Germany, I was like, okay, now I got to know. And she would think, oh no, no, you have to wait. You're way too, this is you're way too early. And I pestered her until she said, fine. And she went like, this means this, this. And she threw all the cards down. This is this, this is this, this is this. And within 10 minutes, she laid out the cards and I'm watching and I'm watching. And I was like, it was like my mind going, oh. And then from that moment on, I just remembered those symbols and I just practice and practice and practice. And of course, by the time I was 10, I had known those cards. I was like, well, 10, what about, what about a real tarot deck? What about this? What about that? And then I came upon a book of astrology. I couldn't put that down. And then I, I was 12 when I bought my first book on the, uh, the ephemeral, which is the measurements of, of the century that I was in at the 19, from 1900 to 2000. So I bought that book. And then I just started getting every book on astrology. And it's pretty much self-taught, but I got really great books like from Isabel Huckey and, um, and then later on, I, Hickey, Isabel Hickey. And then later on, I found books by Robert Hand. And so my library started growing and I was kind of isolated. We moved to a very wooded area after the shore, Jersey Shore. And so for me, music, poetry, writing, the esoterics, the theology. And then I came across Rudolf Steiner. Then I came across Carlos Castaneda. So those were the books in my library. And that's all I was interested in. And not many young people my age got it. So wow. that's my early initiation. Well, I do tarot cards and I don't, I don't. Okay. I'm going to ask her a question because, you know, she knows me well and she, she's a wise soul. And um, so I read tarot cards and I've tried to teach myself tarot cards 
The only time that I can read tarot cards is when I push everything out, where I meditate a little bit, I push out everything and I only feel the energy of the card. And it feels like my spirit guides are speaking to me. Is that a right way to do it or is that a wrong way to do it? You know what? I think there is no wrong way if your instinct, because remember, everyone's instinct, first of all, everyone learns differently. Some people learn by visual, by sound, by feeling, by imagination. So there's many different ways to learn. If that's how it works for you, that's fantastic because that is probably your your kinetic way of learning. Uh, for me, it was, um, again, for me, it's very visual. And, um, and of course, I've probably, you know, every conceivable tarot deck that's ever been printed. So I like the different styles. And also when I first started learning, you know, the first 10 years, I didn't have the Rider Waite or the other colorful decks I use this European deck, which is, you know, let's say the Ten of Swords is just ten swords. Yeah. There's no depiction behind it. There, It was almost like playing cards. There was no real visual, which is so lovely because when you use, for example, the Rider Waite deck or Morgan Greer or any of the other wonderful decks or the Aquarian deck, they really, the pictures themselves speak to you. But when I learned it was just the hard knocks, the four of diamonds, the five of diamonds, the two of clubs, this is so for me, it allowed me to really conjure up from my knowing the symbols. And then I went right into study numerology, astrology. So, you know, by the time I was 19, you know, going off to college and moving on into the world or leaving home, I was, my mother used to have to book the whole neighborhood because everyone would come for readings. Oh. So I, I enjoyed doing that. So, so your parents were very much for you, you learning, you learning how to do this and finding your way with it. Well, They're very it, supportive. Well, it's a kind of a fine language. My parents, because we're German, they did not allow me to be left-handed. So they were trying to force me, which they had no success. I'm left-handed. I work on the right side of my mind. But because my mother saw her mother do tarot readings, when I was doing the tarot readings, they would say nothing. They weren't for me, but they weren't against me. So that was such a, a dichotomy. You know, you're not allowed to be left-handed, but, oh, you can read for the neighborhood tarot cards. Go figure. That's how they were hardwired. But it was because my mother knew her mother was a reader and my mother knew my, my her, her mother, my grandmother, was the initiator of my studies. So they never bothered me, but they never supported. They just left me alone to my own device. Well, that's, it's awesome because then you're able to, to achieve the things that you wanted to achieve. My mother was very, she, she had spirit guides. My mother saw things and uh, I think that it was all passed down. You know, she had these extrasensory perception feelings. And I think that it's wonderful to be in tune with that. But I want to talk about something. Um, I don't know if you have a copy of it sitting on your desk there. Yes. But I, my copy is with Babette. Um, I got to tell you guys something. I'm going to, I, she came over to my daughter's place, you know, in Hollywood and presented me with a copy of her book. And I was very touched that she thought to give me a book here. Let me do full, full here. There it is. And um, it took me a couple of days to have the time to read it. But when I read it, I could not put it down. And I thought, and some of the things that went on in my head was, oh my God, I've experienced that. 
oh my God. It was as if there was this parallel energy, you know, because I've known you for a long time. And I always feel that there is a parallel energy between us. But we've had other people come in. Angela, if I say this wrong, Gerardo, <laughs> welcome. And Sharon Farrell, thank you for coming in. We have people that are watching. So I couldn't put your book down. And I read it in one weekend, just could not put it down. And that's why before I left to come, you know, out here, I gave it to my daughter and I says, you, you, you need to read this. So why, why is the book entitled Toward the Moon with Fellini? All right. So of course it's a, I'll, synth, I'll synthesize it, but let's just start with why is it called Towards the Moon? So Towards the Moon is the name of the documentary, the film that I shot with Federico Fellini. And in Italy, in the late 80s, you know, I met Federico, we went on an adventure together, and that we'll get to those questions. But and all and I worked on several of his films, but in the one, The Voice of the Moon, which is really the backstory within the book, uh, he was so kind to let Eugenio, uh, Eugenio Capuccio direct and me uh, lead this story of kind of a film within a film with him about him, for him, and for us. And that film was called Towards the Moon with Fellini, Versa la Luna con Fellini. So I felt, well, if I'm going to write a book about those adventures, I'm going to name it after the film, which the film is on YouTube. You can just YouTube Towards the Moon with Fellini and watch the film. So it is there. It's subtitled in English. So I, I made it available for everybody and anyone. Yeah, I was able to watch it. In fact, I watched it several times. You won an award for, for um, what was it? Um, I have it down on my list. There were questions I'm jumping around. So it was the, it was, tell me what the award was that you won. Well, I, I, um, I won several awards. First of all, um, when it, when the film was first completed, it's a feature documentary. And I, when I finally, after Federico's passing, I came back to the United States and I was showing people and it was on three quarters. I had to get a projection room. And the first thing, because I was working at Paramount Pictures, they were, you know, I, I met with the people who were involved in the foreign aspect and they said, oh, it's a documentary. Oh, it's in Italian. Oh, nobody does foreign language documentaries. So there was no market for it. So I sat on it until the documentary market started coming alive. And then I realized now's my chance. So, of course, I had to get it out of you know, being in a film canister, and then I had to digitally remaster it, do color correction, and I had to subtitle it. So, you know, on my own dime, and thank you to all the lovely people at Paramount Pictures who let me come in the graveyard ship to do all that, to the Da Vinci machines and things that were would have been so expensive for me that through my friendships, because I was eight years at Paramount, and then also worked in feature post-production, they were so kind to kind of let me make the film broadcast-worthy so now I have to enter, you know, the film festivals. Oh, and by the way, as soon as the film was ready, Paramount uh, was so kind to let me screen the film, which I did a beautiful uh, screening uh, night. And many, many lovely people were there. And I thanked them. And some great friends came. I have to I'll do a special shout out for Pamela Dickerson, who brought a circus full of people in colors and costumes, walking on stilts, fire jugglers, and so forth. So that really made the the uh, premiere, like very special. And then from that moment on, I just entered the film 
in every film festival. And of course, when you do so, you're pretty much nominated, you know, entering because it's a Bellini documentary, the last one that nobody's seen. So I've entered it from, well, I, I entered it not only in the Beverly Hills Film Festival, where I, I entered it as a foreign documentary and it was so liked. And because of the length of it, it was bumped up to a, the, it got the award for best foreign film. So that was a great honor. But I, I, I won a Hugo at the Chicago Film International, uh, Chicago International Film Festival, which is one of the oldest American film festivals. It was the 41st year that I won that. Uh, I took it to Mumbai, to Paris, to Germany. Um, I, it played on Italian television. It, it really pretty much it played in Seattle. It just went pretty much globally, and I was, couldn't have been more honored. I really enjoyed watching it. And, um, you know, I, I do my research, you know, when, when, you know, even though I've known you for a long time, I still wanted to research and, and make sure that I had everything, every egg in its basket and ready to go. But can you tell me how and when did you meet the great Italian filmmaker Federico Fellini? All right. So, and this is kind of what will be in the book itself, but to keep it into a subject, I am living in New York City. Um, I, you know, of course, I'm in New Jersey. I start going to Manhattan already as a teenager. So from 15, 16, I was any bus, any after school. I mean, I was in Manhattan. I met a few photographers. So I was building my portfolio. And, and then I started having some relationship with some very interesting people in New York. And lo and behold, I have to move to New York City. That's the place to be. And, and even while I was in college, I would go weekends to New York. So, but in all this time that I was go going back and forth, New York, New Jersey, I met a psychic named Jerry DeMarlo. And I was probably by then 17 when I met Jerry. And Jerry was amazing. And every reading she gave me was through the roof. And I would then turn around and give her a reading. So she, you know, we kind of created this mother-daughter bond on that psychic realm because even though I love my mother and so forth, but I never had anyone to really, you know, talk about this and what about that. And where Jerry really honed my astrological skills, you know, I taught her Western tarot because she was using the Italian deck. So our friendship really bonded and we would see each other as much as possible. All her predictions for me were unbelievable. I mean, she'd say, oh, you know, you're going to, in two days, you're going to be on a plane heading to Spain. Spain? I don't know anybody in Spain. Boom. She goes, oh, no, you're going to get a call and don't say no and go have a great time. Boom. There you go. And so now this is two years later. So I met her at um, 17. So now I'm 23. So I have, you know, quite a few, you know, we have our six years of constantly seeing each other and her advice and constantly learning from each other. This is the one time, and I know it was uh, late August of 1984. So here I am now going to, you know, receive a reading. And she looked at the cards, she threw them down on the table. She goes, that's it, kid. You're getting out of New York City. You're going to leave these affairs. You must go to Los Angeles. You have to be there by October 20th. You're going to Get in, you're going to meet a famous Italian director and you're going to hear voices from outer space. Go. You're going to live in Rome. Get out. Get out. And she literally pushed me out the door and she goes, I don't want to see you until you've had this adventure. She actually did that. I mean, she actually, and she's never done that before. I mean, we would talk <laughs> and she would say she literally if she she was so upset, if I would doubt what she said, 
she literally kicked me out of her apartment and she's never spoke to me in that tone. So uh, what can I do? So I, I bought a car, I packed it up, I gave my apartment away. And so within two to three weeks, I was ready to go. I had a friend who said, I'll accompany you for the ride. And so we drove to Los Angeles and I just knew a photographer. That's pretty much, but I wasn't, and I had visited him, but no, no, I wasn't going to stay. You know, this was me striking out on my own. I had my personal things in the trunk of the car and in the backseat of the car, but here we are. So as I remember driving and, you know, you're driving and driving days and days, all of a sudden I see the sign sunset because never, I've never driven around LA. I had just gone for photo shoots and was taken to and from. And of course, as I'm driving and I see the sign sunset, I turn off to sunset. And of course, sunset is 50 miles long. You know, I was way out, <laughs> but eventually I'm driving, driving. And then I just couldn't take it anymore. I just, as soon as I see the comedy store and I'm on sunset, I just turn, it's on olive and I just pull into the side and I see this big sign, no parking only for people who live in the building. But I see the parking space number 13, they were numbered. So I just pull into 13. I had to get out of the car, stretch. You know, I've been driving since six that morning. And as soon as I get out of the car and my friend was with me saying, hey, you can't, why are you parking here? You can't park here. I said, I got to get out of the car right now. I just, it was impulsive. And as soon as I step out of the car, I hear someone yelling over the fence. Hey lady, you can't park here. This is private, private uh, parking spaces. And I said, yeah, but nobody's got apartment number 13. I don't know why that just came out of my mouth. But that's how it is when you're reading. And he goes, yeah, that's right. I said, I'll take it. He goes, well, it's furnished. That's even better. I had no furnishings. <laughs> so in that day, the first literally stopping the car, I am now found my place. So right there on Olive and Sunset, and now I'm setting up my apartment. So now that's by that was say, too easy. That, that was, too was too easy. easy. It was meant it to be. That was too easy. Place. It <laughs> fell into place. I know. And um, so here I have. I, you know, I get all my myself situated, and of course now I'm waiting for October twentieth. It's about October first. So you know, from late September, needing uh, excuse me, late. Uh, August from the reading and then using September a couple of weeks to get situated, get the car, get in that. And then, you know, taking about, you know, five days to drive there. So we're close to the first few days, either the last few days of September, but really October 1st is when I signed the lease. And here we are. Um, then a friend said, you know, can I, you know, I, can I be your roommate? And of course it was a one bedroom, but I created a little area in the dining room. And since I didn't know anyone, I said, Oh, this was a friend from the photographer. I said, oh, okay, I'll give myself some companionship because who knows what's going to happen, I, you know. Yeah. You know, Jerry was Jerry was never wrong, but I didn't, you know, know <laughs> to what extent. So um, so now, and it was the lovely Brink Stevens, who uh, was a great actress, who, of course, was the, who took my dining room and we were kind of roommates. And, you know, I told her, I'm here for this important date. I don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. And, you know, that day she invited me out to lunch with her friends. And I said, no, 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 no. It's October 20th. I, I don't know what to do, but I didn't think it was about going out to lunch. So I said, I'm just going to stay here and wait for a sign. I didn't know what, but I didn't think. And then, of course, is, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, three o'clock in the afternoon, all the hours go by. And I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should have gone out to lunch. Maybe that was it. I, I didn't know what to do. And then around 630, the phone rings and it's this lady who says, you don't like me and I don't <laughs> like you, but I have called everyone from my list. I have this dinner with an Italian director 
-huh. and I'm supposed to go, but I must not come alone. I have to bring a woman and I've called everyone and nobody can make it. And you're literally down at the bottom of my shit list. So since I want to <laughs> go, I know. And, uh, and she was truly somebody who had done just very bad manner things, very unacceptable. And normally I would have just hung up on her and said, get lost. But when she said Italian director, this was it. So she said, what's your address? We'll come by and pick you up. And lo and behold, uh, uh, by eight o'clock, a car swings by and picks me up. And as I get into the limousine, there next to me is Federico Fellini. Ah, oh, ciao, signorina. Oh, we are going out to dinner. And it was with his entourage. Um, there was Andrea De Carlo, Maurizio Grimaldi, Federico Fellini, and Sybil. She doesn't like me to use her name, but she likes me to call her Sybil. So Sybil was with us. So She wasn't the Sybil that had all the different personalities, right? <laughs> well, maybe that's why. Uh, well, I didn't call her Sybil. Fellini called her Sybil. So oh! We'll just leave it at that. Okay. And um, and she was a ballerina. And um, so we're having, we, we go to a restaurant, Trader Vic's, which now doesn't mm -hmm. exist, but it was right next, you know, right where yep. uh, Santa Monica and Wilshire meet. It was so, at the Beverly Hills Hilton Hotel. Correct. So there we are. We're having uh, this dinner and, you know, we're sitting at the table and uh, Sybil keeps saying, you know, Mr. Fellini, you know, Christina, she does Terran astrology. And he said, oh, I like that. And But I couldn't read from her if she, that was she was trying to exalt me or diminish me. I couldn't tell. But everything she was saying that like what I did, he liked it. You know, numerology, astrology, does this. And, uh, and instead of getting a poo-poo answer, she was getting, he, you know, we were all getting a, oh, I, he was interested. So then she opens her purse and says, but I'm spiritual. I have a crystal. Well, I open my purse and I have a crystal too. And she opens her purse. <laughs> she goes, I have two crystals. And I open my purse and I give one to everyone at the table. I go, are you happy? We all have a crystal. And of course, Fellini <laughs> is laughing. He's just thinking this is the funniest thing. So we've, we, now we finish our dinner. There's a little tete-on-tete. -tete and, you know, he was so charming. And, you know, his little, his, his entourage were, of course, Andrea and Mauricio. And we have our dinner. And, of course, I'm thinking, you know, nobody knows that I drove all the way and I gave up everything to be at that dinner. So, you know, I don't know what the meaning is. And so as we're coming to the end of the dinner, uh, they're dropping me off at my apartment and I turn to the group and I say, oh, may I please invite you into my apartment? I'd like to show you my slideshow. I take photographs around the world and I've created a little presentation. And Federico had nothing else to do. And the group said, all right. Of course, Sybil said, no, 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 I have better things to do. I'm not interested, which was fine for me. And the limousine takes her where she needs to go. And so I have now Andrea, Mauricio and Federico sitting on my sofa and I take a picture down off the wall and I turn on my projection can, um, slideshow and then I'm blasting as large as can be up against the wall, images of all around the world. And now we come to the images of Tulum, Chichen Itza, Uxmal, and the Sonora Desert and Mexico. And uh, right away he gets very excited. He goes, Tulum, Tulum, you know, you know, do you hear the voices? What are they telling you? And I was like, oh, voices? Well, I have my own voices. I don't know what voices you have. And uh, I mean, that he, had to be that had to be very, very strange for him. I mean, this. OK, I, I'll be quiet. I just I love this story. <laughs> I've read this story. <laughs> uh, so. Um, 
so the slideshow finishes. He kept yep. asking me if I heard the voices and I, I, you know, I didn't know what his voices were. So I, you know, they get up. Thank you very much. The car was already back to pick them up and good night. And thank you very much. And of course, as they're leaving, Brink is coming back and she sees these three guys leaving, not knowing who they were, but these three people leaving the apartment. And then I proceed to tell her that was Federico Fellini. Oh my God. And so wow. now they're gone. So I said, that was it. I moved all the way to Los Angeles for a dinner and a slideshow. That can't be. That can't be. So I stay up all night long with my itchings, my tarot, my numerology, my astrology. I am just writing page after page, scribbling down what I'm thinking this encounter <laughs> means. And so now it's early crack of dawn. And I'm like, all right, I have pages and pages and I stuff them in the middle of the envelope and I must give this to him. And I don't know where he's staying. So I'm thinking, well, and, you know, celebrities don't like to leave their real names in the, at the concierge. So I'm like, that's it. I'm just going to try every hotel. And I insist on finding. And, of course, the first hotel I call, yes, there's a Mr. Fellini staying there. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my, oh my God. And, and I, I tried the Hilton first. Maybe it was because we had dinner at Trader Vic's. But that was where I started. And, boom, I was, there we go. I found it. So that's all I needed. There we was. And so now I jump in my car and I drive to the Hilton and I'm standing now in my jogging suit. Maybe it was about 6.45, just before 7 a.m. in at the front desk with this little package of envelope and I'm holding to my chest. Oh and as I'm God. standing online, the person in front of me turns around and grabs me by the shoulders and starts shaking me. And I'm looking up and it's Federico and he says, oh. you. You, you're the one. I go, I'm the one. What? He goes, the voices told me to wait here at exactly at this time and that you, the chosen one, would be there. In this case, me. And I this said, is this is your first few days of meeting him. Hours. First yeah, hours. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is pretty amazing. And uh, so he pulls me off to the side. We talk and he says, come upstairs to my room. We have to tell the entourage. And of course, as I go upstairs... There is Andrea and Maurizio, and they're like, her from the dinner last night? What is she doing here? And Federico said, the voices told me to meet, and there she was standing. And they said, did the voices call you? Did the voices call you? I said, nobody called me. I just was drawn to it. And um, so then they go on to explain to me that um, Federico says, I'm trying to create a project with Carlos Casineda, and since I'm... Um, you know, I met him and we're trying to come back here. We're trying to meet him again. But now we're going to meet him in the jungles of Tulum. And he went on to explain his side of the story. And then I told him my side of the story, which he was like, this is amazing. Like, So it was kind of destined like you came and I came and this was it. And he said, and the voices told him the night before that uh, the voices said, someone from your entourage knows a dancer and you must invite this dancer tonight but she must not come alone. She must bring a female. Oh, I got there chills. No age. There was nothing. She must bring a female. If she, she must not come alone. She must bring a female. That's all they said. So that's why Sophie was calling everybody. Oops. Sybil. <laughs> Sybil was calling. I'll, do that. I'll do that in post. <laughs> no, this is live. Uh, yes. Um, Sybil was calling everyone because she wanted yeah. to go on this dinner. And then she figured, well, there's no, nobody would, was coming from whatever, how many friends she called. I don't know, but truly it was the last person because we had an experience that 
I was very generous, very kind to her, and I felt totally taken advantage of, and it left a bad taste. Now leave it at that. Because it's Hollywood. It not, it's Hollywood, but <laughs> this is in Hollywood. <laughs> uh, without going into a big story, it's in the book. But more than anything, Sybil and I are friends today because you know that's one of the things that I've learned in life that you know you sometimes have to get over things. You have to, some things are forgivable, some things are meant to transform and transcend. And become good. And now Sybil and I are pretty good friends. So I've only the highest regard of her. But that was our first encounter. So did you become a muse of him? And could you talk to me about your unique relationship with 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 uh, with Bellini and in your time together? You know, before we get into the the nitty gritty of the book, before before we do that, we have Lily's in the chat room. Welcome. We have Beth Anna's in the chat room. Welcome. We have Kevin. We have Patrick. So, welcome to the chat room, everybody. So this is exciting. So so a little bit about you know your relationship with him. Well, from the moment I met him, from the moment that the concierge down, which really solidified, you know, he didn't know what I went through to get there. And, uh, you know, a dinner, as far as he knew, I was just a woman that was, you know, along for the ride. And then he was taken by the pictures where he was literally going in a few days from now to Tulum. That was impressive to him, but truly meeting him down below and that I had proceeded to do all these things without these phone calls that he was receiving. And he thought it was not so much Carlos Castaneda, but Don Juan. And if anyone knows the, the literature of Carlos Castaneda. Uh, Carlos talks about uh, sorceries and shamans, and he talks about his mentor named, um, it was a shaman named Don Juan. And Don Juan and Don Gennaro and the Naguas, and these were all the Toltecs of an ancient uh, mystic of the forest in the Mayan civilization that were kind of being weeded out or lost or dying out and uh, Carlos was sort of like becoming the new seer of this group. And if anyone goes as far as to read Castaneda's books, and he wrote many of them, and it was truly a cult following for many, many years. And I, of course, I was reading, reading his books. So when, as soon as Federico said Carlos, I said, I know that. I've read, I knew exactly where, I was on the same page in that sense. And he was talking about Tulum. I knew Tulum. I had been there on my own. So all of a sudden, things are becoming in, in synchronicity, I suppose. And um, so this was the bonding. And of course, lo and behold, he starts explaining what these voices are and how they follow him. They are literally getting into his mind. They, they answer on the telephone. That was so interesting. They called on the telephone, but they could get into your mind and they could answer your thoughts and they know exactly what was going on and what was doing. So he didn't think it was Castaneda, but that it was Don Juan. And of course, if you read any of Carlos's books, you know that Don Gennaro was a prankster. You know, even sometimes Don Juan would teach Carlos this meaning of the Toltecs and he, with the use of peyote mushrooms and psychedelic mushrooms. And the whole reason for that was apparently as Don Juan said, that Carlos needed this because he was a very analytical mind and they needed to kind of break down and get into a, a playing field where he could be open and accessible for this mysticism and this mystical teachings. So um, Federico, fascinated, wanted to make the subject matter of his next film or films. 
on this very subject. So he thought, now that he's getting these strange calls, now that things are reappearing and disappearing, quite unusual, this must be the making of Carlos and or Don Juan from this other realm. And to this day, I cannot say, but it, was, it couldn't have been Carlos because it was really non-human abilities to know our thoughts, to find us, to make phone calls come from any payphone you're walking by, and to truly, you know, if I was thinking something, they would call and answer it. So I could not imagine uh, anyone pranking that, but it was unbelievable. And so that was um, what solidified our relationship because then Federico and I, we went on adventures together. We traveled the world and then I followed him back to Rome. So, and this was a nine year friendship. And because he was quite afraid of these voices because they could shake you up. If you didn't listen to them, they would move things around in a very awestruck, awestruck way. So this was really the cement of our relationship, which and then, of course, as I said, a few months down the road, I am now living in Rome and my life has changed completely. So you, you made a trip. You had other people that were involved in this. Who else was yes. involved with well, this trip? Um, to, to, well, to Sybil. Sybil yeah. came. Um, yeah. Andrea came. And of course, Andrea wrote a book called Yucatan about the subject and it can it is in English as well and so Andrea wrote about it and then later on Federico writes about it but Federico being the artist he puts it together in a graphic novel trip to Tulum and my character of course this does not look like Sybil but if anything it looks like Brink Stevens which I, I hope was a great inspiration because you know Brink um, was dear to the story as well, and had an adventure in, in the connectiveness while uh, Federico was that week in um, Los Angeles with us. And I'll go on as we ask more questions, I'll go on to explain a little bit more, but Federico created this and um, it's unfortunately out of publication, but Milo Minata is the graphic artist and the artwork Ooh. is fantastic. And, um, just fantastic. Wow. And, and of course, my favorite page in the story is I ask Federico, can I, you know, as a cartoon character, I ask, what about me? Can I have a part in the story? And then Federico says, and now I believe that perhaps thanks to you in myself, that you will, uh, that thanks to you, that this story will come to life. And I'll bring it closer because it's truly my favorite panel. Uh, there it is where I am now flying off. Whoop, I got to go this way. Where I'm <laughs> flying. And as everyone jumps on the plane to go to Tulum. So, and then there's the Italian version as well. Of course, uh -huh. the Italian version has me naked all the time. Um, but that's another story. <laughs> the Italians are, uh, it's the only country where you can have the Pope on one channel and then on the next channel is a striptease show for housewives, <laughs> you know, that's Italia. Oh yeah. I mean, the Italian men are, Hey, Hey, you know, so, so you started this adventure with him and let's, and, we, and it didn't just stop at Tulum. You know, I, I followed Federico and so did the voices. And so I was, of course, for the first, uh, for the first year in 1985, since we met in 84, October of 84, he came back to Italy in November. The phone calls were starting to come and the voices were saying, 
I have to follow him. I must stay with him. And we weren't given names. So this I'll mention. The voices did not refer to us as names. We were given colors. So Federico was the green one. Andrea was the blue one. And what were what you? I was the pink one. And that's why I have to have pink in my hair. <laughs> um, and the, uh, Maurizio was the yellow one. Brink, then even Brink got a color, was the violet one. Tullio Pinelli was also the violet one. And um, so we were given colors. And um, so we're refer we, were, we were referred to by our colors. So the pink so one must stay near the green one. So that's what I did. <laughs> um, so what was your relationship with all of them? I mean, that was quite a, a eclectic group of people that were gathering together to take on this amazing adventure that you wrote about. And this is, to the people that are watching, this is true life. This is not yeah. something that is made up in your mind. These are other yeah. people that participated in this. So what was, how did well, they that's feel why, about That's why Federico in? wrote a book about this. Um, um, Andrea wrote a book about this. And um, Vincenzo Molica, who's a very famous journalist with the uh, famous newspaper called Corriere della Sera in mm -hmm. Italy, and made uh, for the front page for the first six copies for the week, bits and pieces, segments of, and that's all in the book. I show this, uh, the segments of the newspaper explaining this true story, this adventure that Federico made with this colorful group. And that was what then, of course, the voices wanted Federico to tell their story. And one of the things they really wanted was us to be involved with music. And if anyone, under, you know, investigates, you know, some, that musical notes have vibrational colors. So I kept thinking that, you know, our colors were actually notes, musical notes, and that if we combine them together, maybe we could make an understanding. And in fact, one evening, the voices told us to go buy musical instruments and so Brink and so uh, Sybil and Mauricio, Andrea and Federico, we are all with different instruments banging, uh, making a <laughs> symphony of mess of sound. I, I remember that from the book. <laughs> and uh, of course, Federico puts this in the graphic novel, you know, of course, in his um, imaginary way, the way he never tells a story directly as it is. He has to give it a Fellinian uh, expression to it. So to me, that's what I always felt that the uh, voice was, to me, less Carlos Castaneda or Don Juan, because the voices themselves, who they called themselves you, that they said, don't follow Castaneda. We're not involved with Castaneda. So for me, that was, you know, I didn't know if that was a relief or not, because now who are they? But, um, you know, they were definitely quite unusual. Now, they went on to tell Tullio Pinelli and myself and Federico, a few of us, who were the ones who would receive the most calls, that they were not of this world. They were never born. They've never died. They're sort of in another dimension. So for them to make these calls, this was huge so, wait, wait, energy. Wait, wait, so all of you got phone calls like this? Yes. Um, not I just got the, uh, Federico got calls. Um, I don't know if Maurizio got calls. I know Brink got a call. I know Eugenio got a call. I've got, I got many. Remember, this is nine years that went on. I had many, many calls, sometimes three calls a day if they really wanted me to do something. Uh, they were adamant. But I would say the majority of calls were Federico and I self. 
maybe you see Andrea was very hesitant. He thought this was a practical joke from Castaneda. So he truly believed that that this was Castaneda doing a prank. I cannot say and believe that if that is so, just because to me it was too phenomenal. I could not imagine a human being involved to that extent or having that potentiality to make that much magic. Um, but um, when I would receive a call and the phone would ring and I'd pick it up, the first sounds would be as if I were on a walkie-talkie. You'd hear, you wouldn't hear the you know quietness of a phone. You hear that static, that shh, you know, that crackling sound that you would get when you were on a walkie-talkie. So right away, I know it's them. And as soon as I hear that, it's as if I am being, I start shaking, I start sweating. It's almost as if I feel in, a drainingness. And then comes this metallic sounding voice over this crackling. And we are telling you in a, me, in a mechanical voice, like a robot, in a very haunting voice, telling me what to do or what they need me to do or and so forth. And I never, if they said, go here, do this or do that, I did it. I didn't, I knew what, that they were quite serious. And one time- Were you, ever, ago, were you ever fearful of them? I was terrified. But okay. once again, I felt that because I had such an upbringing with the esoterics, I already knew so much. And I had spent so much time reading books on the esoterics, not just Carlos Castaneda, but I studied, you know, Rudolf Steiner, and I studied really the great sorcerers of the world. I was truly fascinated by them. I thought if anyone was prepared, I felt I was the most prepared from the group because of my innate curiosity on the esoterics. On the, and I considered myself a metaphysician already in, in, by a teenager. So I felt the most prepared. So that was to that question. So... It's fascinating to me that all of you have come together, went on this. And we're not gonna we're not gonna go into detail about the big adventure. We're gonna go into a little bit of it because the book is amazing to read. It is absolutely and it's on amazing. Amazon. You can buy it on Amazon. I I I couldn't put it down. I really enjoyed it, Christina. I thought it was amazing. But for the you know. You had twists and turns in this. I mean, you guys also had. Oh yeah, dis- nothing was dis- easy. Disappointments, and many, there- many, and many people thought I was crazy. So I, you know, I realized I can't really talk to anybody about it. So of course, I have to be near Federico, and Federico needed me as much because we couldn't make sense of this, and and the voices said that we had to stay together. So. Where is the pink one? Where is the pink one? You have to be near me. And he loved that I did tarot and astrology. So, you know, every day when I was living in Rome, I would go to his office, which was, you know, Sulla Via Condodi, and I would every day, you know, read his tarot cards. Every day, wow. I threw the iching. Every day, you know, he would, call, you know, he would call me, come over. I need to have see you. So this week, and of course. I started dating his uh, his assistant director, and he was like, "Oh, you're you're having an affair with Fellini? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. We really have this." And then I would tell him the story, and "Yo, oh, you're crazy. That's you're, you're so full of." <laughs> Nobody would believe me, so it was just something I suffered with not to have anyone believe me. But Federico and I, we knew, and of course Andrea and so forth. But even they were very suspicious of me. So it was tough times, but it was probably the most interesting time of my life, without a doubt. And that, I think we were brought together, Federico and I, and our fates were sealed. And I was with him to the very end. And I thank him because he turned my life around in a 
hundred thousand ways. And of course, he introduced me to Eugenio Capuccio, who is a brilliant director, became my husband. And in fact, we married on 8888 at 8. And uh, that was also the voices said that they would come visit that night. And today is August 8th. So there's oh no my God. <laughs> so, so if I get phone calls, I've got, I, I got to say, let's meet somewhere and let's go on an adventure. <laughs> it well, could happen. You, you picked the, I the August RV. 8th. <laughs> and I didn't tell you this was the, the day of my wedding anniversary. Oh my yeah. God. Oh my God. Yeah. So and, for the, uh, for the, Christina, for the people that are watching this, they might question if this is true. I mean, if, especially if they're new to all of this. Absolutely. What would you What would you say to them that have never been exposed to anything? Experience like this. I understand spirits. I understand. I mean, you know, I've been made fun of for a very long time of having my spirit guide. So I understand not telling people the things that you see, even family members. I understand that. So what yeah. do you say to people that go, "Hmm, I think this is a little wacko." Um, very much so. So the um, the UFO organization, the um, LA Parsal, which is a UFO Paranormal League, um, they've interviewed me, and I had so many people criticize me, um, make you know say this is impossible, untrue, and put it this way: this is probably why it took me you know twenty years to write the book because I wanted also to finally the voices left me alone uh, when Federico passed. And I needed that because, you know, for nine years I was hunted or hounded by uh, these voices telling me what to do. And I never really felt my life was my own. And it wasn't until Eugenio got the call that he it was like for me a relief because we were arguing over this very thing. You know, he didn't believe me and he thought I was making this up and, and what was going on between Federico and I. And it was very stressful. And um, and of course, now he completely understands. And he just recently so he's the director of Verso la Luna con Fellini, Towards the Moon with Fellini on YouTube. He's also the director of recently, just last uh, year in 2019, he created a film called Fellini Finemai, which means Fellini never ends or Fellini forever. And in that he interviews me and we putting on camera all of Fellini's stories, including this untold story, because Federico's last film, The Voice of the Moon, La Voce della Luna, he somewhat attempts to talk about uh, this parallel and paranormal story, but he uses characters who are already insane. So he tells the story to people who have lost their mind, thinking that's the only way he can tell the story, because Federico himself became very fearful of really telling the truth. So for me to have had, you know, this many years, and then after Federico passes, I come back to America with the graphic novel, with the films, thinking, you know, I'll find some great director. And I've truly met every motion picture studio head from Disney to Paramount to, you know, pretty much from Donald DeLine to everyone, Don Bluth, you know, anyone who would be interested in mixing 3D, well, then it was only 2D, but, you know, I was already, they were just the early stages of 2D and 3D, and I thought, oh, this would be a great film, real life and so forth. And Don Bluth, he had done Cool World, so I thought he's the perfect director. So I was on a mission to get this made into a film. And it was, you know, to this day, it is yet to be made into a film. But Eugenio with Fellini Finemai made this wonderful attempt. And it was at the Venice Film Festival, which, of course, I went. And it was marvelous, well-received. And I couldn't have been more proud of Eugenio. 
And to this day, you know, I'm still hoping, and Eugenio could be the director of this next film. There are other people who have said they want to see this as a film. You know, I'm hoping some, you know, David Lynch type of director who can imagine the esoterics would take a hold of this graphic novel and turn it into a film. So we shall see who makes this film, but, you know, I'm certainly welcome to give all the story information and um, we'll see, but it is, it is not settled with me. And because one thing I have to say, you, the voices, they are not inside this time realm. That is what I learned in whatever dimension they are in, because that's where I truly believe they are, that they have shown to me they're outside the realm of time because they kept telling me things way ahead of that would happen. And they were so unexplainable. And of course, you'll, as the many stories you read in the book, you'll see that they were testing me and challenging me and showing me that they are outside of time. So maybe this time right now is the exact right time to have done the book because I needed some normalcy. I needed to come back to America and I needed to have a normal life and, and, and I wanted to create a family and have children and I wanted to have that. And I wanted to have my children be mature enough and old enough for them to even understand this. And of course, my daughters have seen me do readings every day. Now, because it skips a generation, so my first granddaughter will be the recipient of these gifts. And um, I'm very grateful my daughters, who are not readers themselves, but are very perceptive. And I'm looking forward to you know the future of teaching. And I can teach anyone, but uh, for my legacy to continue, my first granddaughter. So this has been a life story, and I do believe that it is not over, that this could very well be the timing. How has it impacted your life? How has it changed your life? And what do you see in the future? I know you talked about a movie, but I want to talk about spiritually. What do you see happening with Uh, you through all this process? And these are questions. It's a big question because, you know, while COVID was, you know, because I read a lot of world news. So when I already was hearing that, you know, a virus is breaking out in China, I was already thinking, oh, my God, please, you know, may they cure this? May they stop this? May this not, you know, spread? Because we've had people like Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates. We've had people saying, you know, we spend billions on warfare, but we're not putting enough into if there is another pandemic like there was in you know, 1918, 1919, 1920. Look, 1920, it was, it was out of control, the pandemic then, what they called the, the Spanish flu, influenza, which should have never been called the Spanish flu, only because Spain was neutral in World War I. They were the one, only ones writing about it, got labeled, and here we are calling it the Chinese flu, and whatever it is, but it's going to change the world. This will change the world. So maybe because I certainly can't control anything, but maybe having a spiritual voice for anyone who has a spiritual understanding and a spiritual voice or anyone who has a faith and a belief, maybe that's what's going to get us through this time to reassure people that if we do stick together, if we have unity, that maybe a lot of false things have to fall to the wayside and maybe something's truly esoteric can come because that's what it changed in my life. I already had an esoteric understanding and an education. And it only propelled it more so and even more so now. And so for me, who had been an actress, who had been a model, or what all those things, to me, the, the esoteric world, the, the world of phenomena is truly my bridge that I want to reach out to others and create an understanding. So that's what I hope that how my life has changed.
is also uh, an opportunity for others to believe something more because we really need to believe in something other than us bickering and fighting over yes. all the it's it's we're we're out of touch right now so we are definitely but there is a collective consciousness that has been yes. happening Yes. And it is massive. And I think that it's with the invention of the Internet where we can really tap into other people who have the same things that are happening to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the chat room, there's people are talking. Let me tell you some of the things that they're saying. Yeah. Uh, Kevin says, I'm an empath. He says, a, a teleconnectic. I can't say that word communicator. And then wonderful. Pat, wonderful. Yeah, and then Patrick, which was earlier in, in the conversation, Patrick says he sees colors. He's a great, wonderful singer and musician. So when he sings, he sees color. Yes, I do and, too. That's great. That's wonderful. And then he says, um, time is something we invented to create stability in our processing of time and space yes. and, and the measurement of life. And I think that is so remarkable. So because, remarkable. Thank I mean, you, Patrick. If you guys are in the chat room, please say hello. And also, please start putting some questions and we will go to yeah. audience questions because we really, while, while we're waiting on that, I'm going to ask you a really important question. Okay. okay. What did you like about Federico Fellini as a person? Well, um, Federico had a, a spirit and an enthusiasm he was the charmer of, of charmers. He was genius, brilliant, visionary, uh, sometimes known as a liar, but it was his liar because he was trying to always create a, a setting and a scene, but uh, he was just magical. There was, um, I mean, I've met a lot of magical people and, and he definitely is one of the most magical people I've met. And I've met some great ones. You know, um, I was truly. just going to ask you that. I was just going to say, okay, you've met a lot of, Famous people, a tremendous amount of them. And I, I know that you've, you know, you've raised your children and I know that you've worked hard. I know that uh, you've worked in production companies, you've created, you know, movies, you've, you've done modeling, you've been all over the world with modeling and you have worked really hard in your life. So what are some of the famous people that you have met Why they're they're putting questions in. Well, uh, let's talk about some of the people who I've read for. So okay. first of all, I've, I, if I am, it's not an understatement if I've said I've read over 10,000 people because I've done parties, I do events, I've done up, you know, I'll do sometimes parties where 50 to 100 people. I mean, every 10 minutes, another, another, you know, I, you know, up, of course, up until now, COVID, everything is on Skype or on Zoom. Uh, unfortunately, or FaceTime for these readings. But um, so I've read for my whole life and I've read, uh, I read for the Italian prime minister, Bettino Craxi, the vice president, Claudio Martelli. I read for a lot of uh, moving directors and actors and actresses, um, quite a few. Um, many, many, so many. Um, I feel like kind of weird name dropping, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Be my guest. I'm going to... Be my guest. Yeah. Drop the names because this is I think it's wonderful yeah. people to hear this because um, it's wonderful to see the journey that you have made. Yeah. And to have yeah. clarity. Yeah. It's it's yeah. absolutely a beautiful thing. Kevin in the chat room says Einstein was way ahead of his time. He was truly an alien. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, you know, watching some of Fellini's movie, his creativity was so amazing. He was so different in the way that he directed and the way that he, and watching, watching your movie that you, that you made the documentary, watching him behind the scenes had to be truly remarkable to be able to film, you know, Fellini actually directing and actually working, you know, his craft. That had to be a great experience. Yeah. I mean, this is not something he just lets anyone do. He's, you know, for as public a person he is, you know, his his own sphere of who he really lets into his life. And that happens often to very celebrated people. You know, there's so much for the public that who they keep in their inner circle, there's very, very private. And of course, Federico Federico himself introduced me to many, many people. And, and, and one thing to whoever said that Einstein probably was an alien, which I totally agree. One thing I would like to say um, in the many phone calls I received from the voices, you, the collective consciousness, because they went, even though they said their voice was, their name was you, they referred to themselves as we. One of the things I always listened because they always told me they wanted me to be here and do this and so forth. They gave me many instructions. But one time they said, I'm allowed to ask a question. And I had, you know, I always was doing the listening. I was so afraid because they were always in my head. I, I thought, oh, my God, what, what do I ask? Do I ask about Jesus Christ? What do I ask? So it just blurted out. Is there reincarnation? And they said, absolutely. You know, you've reincarnated many, many times. In fact, you're one of us. And that's why you're here on this world. You're here to do something and we'll always be with you. So now that I have to live with that, knowing that they're always with me, <laughs> but they don't have to call. I, um, I, I've had enough phone calls, but I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But to name celebrities, well, I read for Robert Williams. I read for Robert De Niro. I've read for, oh, my God, so many celebrities. Um, I've read for Maria Shriver. I've read for John Bon Jovi. I've read for... Um, Oh, I've read for Warren Beatty. I've read for, I mean, I'd be at parties and I would read for these people. So, you know, I, cause I was very good friends with uh, the Kennedy family, the Shriver family, and they would do often parties and they always had me as their, you know, sidekick psychic in the other room. And, you know, there were so many psych, uh, successful people that I read for that. It was overwhelming. Uh, the, 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 what is it called? The, the music group with the four girls, um, were posh spice the spice yeah. girls so i read for the spice girls. I, read, I know i just you know whoever sits in front whoever wants a reading gets a reading so i read for mia farrow i read for woody allen i read for many many people so um so speaking, many i just speaking about readings um we all, we have a question from in the chat room but i'll get to that from the, in the moment but the question that i wanted to ask you is when you do a reading and if you see something that is a negative do you express that? Do you tell the okay. person? When I that's see a some, very, yeah. that's a hard question. It's a hard one. And I'll tell you when I see something negative, I right away, because I've studied physiognomy, I take a look at their face. I right away say, let me see your hands. So I have to do kind of a scanning of their body. I might lay my hand on their back and I do a scanning and I will pick up. And then if I do their uh, astrology chart, I can see what organ is or what is really ailing them. And then I will say, if you now begin to take your life seriously and stop eating this, stop drinking this, change this, 
you know, and I have warned people and I, and I have told people, and this wouldn't be the first time I have begged people, you need to change this habit. You need to change this in your life. You need to. So I have sat down and I have begged people. And there were a couple of people then, they, of course, once I say, if you don't change this habit, you are taking years off your life. So I will put it as a warning. Um, I will not scare them saying, okay, you're over, you're done tomorrow. But I will say, you have now. So I want them to be accountable. And I, you have to change your thinking. You have to really start thinking. So I cannot, if they're, if they're supposed to have something happen, and it has happened, where I warned somebody, uh, for example, they were extremely overweight and they were a massive alcoholic. And I, I had to sit down and I begged them. I said, you must stop smoking. You must stop drinking. And I, I, I warned them. And, and so, and I said, you know, your end will be quicker, but it's at your hands. You have to make an effort now. And, um, and then they became dependent on me. They were calling me five times a day. Okay, I'm ready to have a drink. I'm ready to have the smoke. Tell me something so I don't do it. And so, of course, that's very draining for me because I, the phone doesn't stop ringing. And this is a whole other thing. I try to not see. I've had readings where people have told me, you can't do this. It's impossible for you. And I'm thinking, who are you? You don't know what I'm capable of. And I didn't like when a psychic had foresaw that I wasn't able to accomplish something because I knew in my own right that if I have the willpower to make a change in my life, that I can, I'm not going to say change so necessarily my destiny, but that I was going to be prepared because we are all going to die. Death mm -hmm. is eminent for all of us. But if we are thinking instead about our death, but we're thinking about our life, if we start thinking about our consciousness, if we start making some better choices, if we start making amends, the first thing I do is tell people, you need to make forgiveness to people. And I don't care how angry you are at them. You know, you got to start with, at least in yourself, if you can never speak to them, write it down and burn it and whatever it is you have to make, because this is the, the, the scary thing is we know that it's about the preparations we must, when we come to the nearing part of our lives where we transcend, we want to be prepared. We want to have a spiritual acknowledgement. We want to make peace with the people we, we haven't left undone. So that is how I approach difficult subjects. I try to prepare them for what they need in this now. Because, you know, I like to say, you know, they've, you got to put the K in front of now, which is no. And and sometimes when people, you know, say no, 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 I say stop the N-O, make the K-N-O-W. The knowledge is the new no. You need to know and drop the K because you have to do it now. And, and those are the words I bring forward. You know, the more people think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll change my habits tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the peace tomorrow. I'm not their guardian to their life, but I want to prepare them to make the most impact because it's a wonderful moment to be alive because it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor you can change people's lives how many people we've known who've come from abject poverty to become some of the most wealthiest people well what's amazing is what if you would not have done what the woman that you had a reading with nine years or you know before before all of this happened everything how much was your guided. life would have yes yeah. Yeah. So in the chat room, we have um, Babette says, any advice for people who try to read their own tarot cards at home? Well, you know, originally tarot, yes, you can futz around with it because what are the tarot but symbols? 
from mm -hmm. numerical symbols, from astrological symbols. So they are symbols. So looking at cards that are symbols are to awaken that, to have the eyes and the vision to see symbols in life, not just on the piece of paper. Cards were not really designed for the oneself to read for oneself. Yes, you know, I prefer astrology because you see the planetary influences and you can really like a roadmap. And there's nothing wrong with reading, I think, you're reading your own cards, but they were designed to teach, to give, to their a tarot reader is for others. And the more you read for others, it's about giving your craft. You know, music wasn't meant for just playing in your bedroom just for your own self. Music was made so others could hear it. You know, art wasn't made so you just color on the walls only for you to look at. Art was made so that you give it. You know, and see, you know, giving is everything. You know, having children is giving life. Creating art, creating beauty, creating this. All, you know, I, you know, just recently I was saying, you know, the world can um, exist without love and beauty, but you cannot truly live without art and beauty. And so music, sound, lights, that gives us reasoning. Otherwise, you know, we're back to our reptilian selves and we're being like animals. We were given the consciousness to make so much more of our lives. Why not create that? We were given yes. not just a brain, but we were given a mind. And that conscious mind, you know, that's what I'm most important for. You know, I don't know how long I live, but if every waking moment I'm thinking of something to improve my life, to bring forward. So if you want to read for yourself, that's great. Because sometimes that's how you start to learn. You have your little book and you have your symbols and you learn the symbols. And everyone's got to start from somewhere. So fine, read for yourself, but you will make a great impact when you start giving advice to others and you start seeing, wow, this is really helpful because it's like a doctor. Does a doctor operate on himself? Does he do open heart surgery and take his heart out and fix it? No, he goes to a better doctor, but he has the skills to heal others. So read for yourself as a learning practice, but boy, when you start understanding how it affects others, and I always hope for the good. I don't like negative naysayers. I like people who lift up the consciousness because we have enough negativity. Yes. Negativity is bringing us down. I am here to lift us up. I agree with you 100% on that. We have Kevin in the chat room says supernova, bleh, supernovas are the strongest form of reincarnation in the universe. Hmm. Wonderful. I, I, I don't doubt it. Um, may I offer my um, explanation re on reincarnation? I would love it. All right. So first of all, the Latin word reincarnazione, it means to return to flesh. So if anyone is listening, if you are here, if I am here, we in our DNA have every ancestor. Remember, we've only cracked a very small fragments of our DNA spiral. And we think that that spiral is within another spiral within another spiral. But here is where I say the return to flesh. In order for any one of us to be here right now, we've had an ancestor. Your great, 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 a thousand years, two thousand years, to some original family. We have been connected to our ancestors. So for so actually every ancestor lived in every generation, in every cycle, in every in every century. 
So within our very selves are the centuries of our ancestors. We are the ones who've returned to flesh, carrying the recipe, the ingredients of all our ancestors. So now there are two ways to incarnate, I believe. One obviously is the bodily flesh. So that one goes without saying. We are all here having the DNA of every ancestor from our original human family. And if you want to believe in Neanderthals, because I actually did my DNA test, I have some Neanderthal in, in me too. But who and how these Neanderthals and who they were mating with, who was visiting this planet, that's another story that might have come from Pleiades or where not. But the original family of man and how they got here. I think that might we, be our next interview with you. Well, well <laughs> fine, but we all have a fragment of that ancestor. Yes. So well, the 14th century is in all of us. The 8th century BC, the first BC to the 10,000 BC, whenever we were first here, we all have that in us. We are made of stardust. The, the, the minerals within our bodies from copper and silver and all the minerals are from the stars themselves. So that's when he said the supernova. Of course, we are made of the supernova explosionary dust and we are the genetic return to flesh. So I have every century of every person in my DNA that's been alive that is totally valid. And remember, not one ancestor could have missed if that great, 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 great times a hundred times a thousand had missed meeting getting together. I would not be here today and you would not be here today. So that is the return to the flesh. Then there's one about the spirit. So that's why I say there's two forms. I do believe that you can return to the flesh by the, by actually, the, as I said, to the DNA, but you can return from the spirit because sometimes some spirits are so highly evolved that they can literally jump outside their flesh and inspire and meld with the incarnation of a, a fresh baby or someone who's born who, yes, of course, has every child has the ancestry. There is no one without reincarnation because everyone alive has ancestors. Mm -hmm. And every ancestor is part of our DNA. And that's a time frame from World War I back to the, from wherever your DNA comes from. Sharon in the chat room says, she says, I like the ex explanation. It makes sense. It makes sense. I have spoken with scientists who argued, oh, Christina, I don't believe in that reincarnation baloney. And then I explain it this way. I say, are you not every ancestor from BC time? Are you not, don't you have, and do you not know that you have yet to discover that explanation in our DNA? We might, the DNA, remember, we've only scratched the surface of it. We have so much un- uh, unexplored DNA that, huh, imagine if we could, if anything, the molecular structure understand that, we might understand. So the spiritual side that reincarnates, I like to say that, and, and these are the great uh, people who's like the Jesus Christ, like the people who are really in the Lao Tzu's, they have jumped over because they could not be contained in one body. Their influence, they made such an impact like a Jesus Christ, like a Lao Tzu, like so many great leaders. And I can think from Ernest Holmes to, to some of the, you know, for me, even Rudolf Steiner, you know, they've left a presence. They've tapped into us. Okay. One question I want to add, since we're talking about um, DNA and reincarnation, so forth and so on. Lightly, Lamarius and um, 
Atlantis. What's your views on that? You mean the Lemurian, um, yeah, the, the Lemurian and the Atlantean and so forth? Well, yes. uh, very, very possible. I mean, there was a time before, you know, we could even date it at the Neanderthal time because it does make sense. You know, we do know that, you know, uh, you know, this whole explanation of monkeys to man, you know, that's the missing link and all of that. But we know that there was Neanderthals. We know that. We know there was Cro-Magnum. We know that there was the early human species. And they from- just found a new, they just found a new dimension, a new species. They found a Wonderful. whole, uh, babies, bodies, men and women bodies, children's bodies. And they found that that was so, when they, I mean, I just saw a, a video on that. I thought it was amazing. Of course. They, I, of course not. We found giants. We found everything. Yes. So, and, you know, and if you understand, for example, in the Egyptians, they believed and, and they, you know, paid tribute to Hermes. And Hermes, I believe, taught them the mathematical uh, computations that created the measurements for the, 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 not only, well, the Sphinx was even before the pyramids which the Sphinx faces the constellation of Leo and Virgo, where the dog star and the Pleiades comes from. So nobody knows who created the Sphinx, but these were the early, the early species. So to the Lemurian and, and the Atlantean, and this is all at the time when Cro-Magnum man and, and Neanderthal man, and probably even predates that. So here we have a sophisticated visitra- visitation using this wonderful planet as home. And here are these kind of monkey-like people running around, the Neanderthals, very primitive, that they could have mated with them because we know Cro-Magnums and Neanderthal made it together. We know that the Homo sapiens and Neanderthals made it together. And I wouldn't be surprised if the early civilization, the early visitors, the Lemurians, um, who were seen as an entire entity, um, you know, and of course the story is that they were split in half. And of course, some of us who are looking for our other halves, our twin flames and our soulmates. So all of that's possible. And and it's, and I would say, if you have a curiosity, read up about it, because if I just drop a few words right now, it might even seem confusing. So if you're fascinated by the Lemurians and the Atlanteans, I'm, I accept all of it. This has been a fascinating conversation. I could go on forever (laughs) with this conversation. But I, I think I've kidnapped you long enough. It has been such an amazing conversation. I, I am. We are blessed to be friends with oh, each other. Thank and to, you. Thank you. You know, for what the kindness that you have um, always partaked on me, and the gentleness and the love that you've always always have given me. But where can people get a hold of your book? What are your websites? And I understand you have a new YouTube channel. Yes, I. I, I went on it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So first of all, the book is called Towards the Moon with Fellini. The film on YouTube is called Towards the Moon with Fellini. My YouTube channel is called Towards the Moon. And there I am, you know, of course, uh, building astrological content as a, as a teacher, as an informer. And then also readings will be available for that. Um, it's ChristinaEnglehart.com. It's towardsthemoon.com. On Instagram, it's towardsthe.moon. And on TikTok, it's at towardsthe.moon. So towards the moon is, you know, so very important for me. You know, it's it's very, very important. You know, Federico had created it so strongly in, in the film. And it has been something I've, you know, we all see the moon. There's no one who can say 
that they might not see the stars, they might not see the planets, but we all can take a look up. Don't forget to look towards the moon. So towards the moon, YouTube channel, and I hope to see you there. And on Amazon, the book, both in Kim uh, Kindle version and um, on paperback. And uh, hopefully an audio book in the near future. And you have, you, you're working on other books. And I have other books, other but I'm taking my, I'm not coming out with them yet. Yes. I have, I have, as they say, enough press on me right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for being my guest. And um, I would love, I'm going to ask me in the chat room, do we want her again? Would you come and, and, and come and be on my show another few more times Certainly. And, and I'm willing to do um, astrological readings. If anyone would like a tarot reading or some astrology, I'm happy to, uh, you tell me a name and I'll pull a card and give information if somebody would like that. Little mini readings. I'm well, happy then to let's, do that. Let's, you know, when you have to, let's, let's talk about, let's book a date because this is, and you know, I'm going to be leaving pretty soon. So I'm going to be done with a little bit of good Wi-Fi. So let's do as much as we can possibly do before I leave to go back to California. We can do it in person. Wonderful. Oh, no, you, oh you can't because of the audio. I mean, we'd have to really oh, fine tune. Yeah. I'd fine tune the audio. So wow. Sharon said, yes, you know, Yay. and so, yes. Yeah, so this has been fascinating. I adore you. Thank you. I thank Likewise. You. Namaste to all. Thank <laughs> everyone and anyone for listening. And uh, it's my honor. It's truly my honor. And we'll make sure we can get everybody to put, um, put all your websites and everything up on, you know, in the chat room. We can always do that after another time. So if everybody wants to get a hold of you and are you open to new friends following you on Facebook? That's a of good question. Course, of course. Of course. Facebook, uh, you know, I'm who we need our friends. We need our, we're creating a community. So I welcome all into my community as a sister to all. Well, Patrick said, yes, great. And, and Anne said yes, too. And um, Patrick will probably go, I want to know if I will become a, a, a he's a well-known singer. He's an amazing performer. And he probably would love to go, I just want to know more. And, she, you know, this has been a wonderful experience. So we're going to have her back on. And I want to thank you all for, I'm going to thank you, Christina. Thank you. And I'm going to shoot over to here. I want to thank you all for watching. This has been a wonderful experience for all of us. Um, we need more of this. We need more people coming together and experiencing such a delightful interview and a different way of thinking in life. And that was that's the reason why I'm doing this show. But I want to thank you all. And you see me moving this way and moving that way. It's because I'm always making sure that when people come in, that I know that they have come in because it doesn't show up in the chat here that they've walked in. I want to be aware that and let you guys know that thank you guys for watching and thank you for all the people that have been watching the shows. I really, really am grateful. Thank you so much. And you guys have a very pleasant night. Good night, everybody.